So uh, I had kind of a big transition over the last month or so. Uh, my wife and I became parents for the first time about three weeks ago. So thank you. Thank you. Many of you prayed for us for a long time. We had quite a long journey hoping to, to have children, and uh, we're so glad that we've started that. It's been an amazing few weeks, and uh, I'd like to introduce you to Silas. He's a cute little guy. So he has lots of funny faces. He smiles a lot. That's a nice thing, but I've learned this face on the left is... Uh, the I'm about to poop face. <clears throat> so when you see that, look out. This morning, right before I left, my wife brought him to say good morning. And uh, well, if you, if you have kids, you understand this isn't a big deal, but others of you might be a little grossed out. But I saw this exact look on his face and I knew something was happen, but, happening, but I didn't expect uh, a direct shot out of his diaper sideways <laughs> all over the place. I was like, oh, that's a great way to leave the house. See you later. <laughs> that's my cue. I'm out. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he eats a lot, he sleeps a lot, and he poops a lot. And that's pretty much his life right now. Um, and he likes to keep us awake, which is really fun, actually. I'm enjoying it. But uh, it's been a great, great time being a dad. A um, couple more pictures, and then we'll move on. Isn't he just so cute? He took up boxing in his spare time. <laughs> he's got a mean right hook. Um, he's just so cute. Every time I look at him, it's just, it's just fun. Um, it's really, honestly, though, made me think about um, God in a very different way. And if you're a parent, you, you understand probably what I mean. Um, and I wasn't just trying to weave this into the message. It actually, it really uh, felt like it just changed the way I viewed this whole topic. And uh, again, if you're a parent, you understand. If you're not, I think you can kind of get a glimpse of what it would be like to have a child that you're responsible for, that you love and care for more than anything. That even though they don't give you anything back other than lots and lots of waste, I mean, they really don't contribute anything to your life other than needing to be fed and, uh, you know, every two hours screaming their head off, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great time all the time. Uh, no, but it, it's hard work, it is, but it's so rewarding and it's so worth any, any price you have to pay. And uh, the fact that God loves us more than I love my son is just unbelievable to me. It's so moving to know that God feels even more in love with us. And I want you to know that if you have a child, God loves you more than you love your kid. If you have a bunch of them, he loves you and them more than you love your favorite <laughs> and more than you love the least favorite. I'm just kidding. Well, sort of. But really, he does. He loves us so much. Even, even parents that aren't like great parents get it. Like they have a love that's so deep for their child. I read this verse a little bit differently recently. It's in the book of John. It says, to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he's talking about Jesus, 
He gave the right to become children of God. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. And he loves you like a perfect dad. And so as we start a conversation about our identity, you kind of have to start with God because our relationship to him really defines who we are. Right now, for my son Silas, the only thing that really defines who he is is that he's mine and Leah's kid. Other than that, he's just a little kid, a little person. But me being his dad makes a huge difference. It kind of defines who he is. It gives him his name. I mean, naming a kid, that was like, that messed with my head. You know, you're naming a human being that's gonna have this name the rest of their life, and if they don't like it, well, you're to blame, and if they do, then I guess that's good, but you're kind of gambling because you don't know what their personality's gonna be like, so, I mean, I was really stressing about this, you know, but, uh, but the reality is we love kids so much, and God loves us even more. And he gave us the right, just by following Jesus, to be called as kids. And I hope if you don't know God as the perfect father, if you don't know him as the good, good father that we sang about just a few minutes ago, please keep getting to know him better. Keep coming around here. Keep engaging in the scriptures. Because as you do, you get to know a God who loves us so much. And it just changes everything. It changes how you look at stuff we're supposed to do. When you have a God that loves you as a perfect dad, it changes your obligations. It changes uh, the fact that he tells us to do stuff from uh, God made me do it to I get to do this. It changes God wants me to do all this stuff and I really don't want to, to God loves me and wants the best for me. Of course, I'm gonna try to live the way he wants me to live. I hope if you don't know that God that you get to know him because that's who God is. He's a perfect dad. Most of us don't have perfect dads. Some of us have really great dads, but they're still not perfect. God is the perfect, perfect father. Some of you had dads that you're still trying to make happy, that every time you do something, you hear a negative voice in your head. I think God wants to replace that voice with his voice that says, I love you. You're forgiven from everything you've ever done. Anything good you ever do is for my glory. So you don't even have to worry about whether you succeed or fail in what you do because God loves you either way. If you do well, it's for his glory. If you don't, he loves you anyway. What a great relationship with a heavenly father. We need to know that dad, each of us. It doesn't matter if you're a kid or if you're 90 years old. We all need to know our heavenly father. We all need our heavenly father. It's really the only way I think we get through life uh, without a sense of pressure all the time or discouragement or having to drive and strive and prove something. I just read recently um, an article a friend of mine posted uh, somewhere on social media. It was about the insane work habits of some wealthy and famous people. And Mark Cuban was one of them, and that kind of piqued my interest. Shark Tank guy, owns a Dallas Mavericks. Um, 
It was talking about how in the early days of his company, he just worked and worked and worked and worked. And pretty much, not 24 hours a day, but he didn't leave much time for sleep. He just worked. He read on other companies and competitors and learned software and, and just dove into his work. They talked about the Apple CEO who emails people at 4.30 in the morning. He's up emailing people already. That sounds like a really good boss to work for, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> hey, it's 4.30. <laughs> Time to start working. Uh, you know, but he does that. He's up at 4.30. He holds meetings on Sunday night to get his team ready for Monday, which there's something compelling about throwing yourself into your work like that. But when it becomes your identity, that's where I think it becomes problematic. And a lot of us find our identities in what we do. Whether we're not doing well and we're striving to do better, and we feel like we're just not measuring up, or you do well and you have success, and so you do more and more and more. I was just talking to a friend of mine who, uh, his, his boss works 100 hours a week, at least, every week. And he just started another company, just for fun. And I know him well enough to know, he really does have his whole identity in his company and what he does which is fine until you retire and you don't have that identity anymore. You see this with athletes all the time. They retire and they just don't know who they are. They end up spiraling, sometimes out of control. Happens with ordinary people every day too. Or until you get let go from your job or uh, something happens and you can't do your job anymore. Uh, or your kids, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom and you, you work so hard to create a good environment for your kids and then they get mad at you or they don't want anything to do with you. And your world falls apart. It happens so easily with anything unless who you are is, is really like anchored, put, like built on a strong foundation, which is God's unconditional love. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. He created, he, he prepared for you good work for you to do way ahead of time. The God of the universe, and here's, here's where I want to start sort of turning the corner uh, into what does this look like for us to have our identity founded in God and his love for us, is that God has good things for you to do that he planned out for you. That means that if you wake up in the morning, every day you can know that God has something important for you to do that day. I really, I really believe this is true. I believe that for each of you, for each of us, God has important work for you to do every day. I think it sometimes happens in the form of a conversation. Sometimes it happens in the form of uh, giving and helping someone. A lot of times it's simple things that, that if you kind of go into your day with this posture of God, show me what you have for me to do today. You start to see little things, little openings where you can insert yourself and maybe do something actually really good and meaningful. 
A lot of times it's pointing people to him, actually, when you do this well. When you uh, take who you are and give it to God and, and look for the places that he has planned in advance for you to do, the good things that he's planned for you to do, you actually feel like you're making a difference. And you are, and it's not just for today, but those, those things are of eternal value. So maybe it is uh, encouraging someone today. It could be, I mean, a lot of times it's simple things, things that seem simple, that actually turn into more substantial things. Sometimes it's just seeing someone and giving them a kind look or just saying something nice and being encouraging. You don't know. Maybe you, maybe you just save that person's life. I know that may, might sound extreme, but it happens. There's people that need your help. There's people that need your encouragement and, and what you have to offer. And they need the work that God planned for you to do. And not being aware of this throughout your day is sort of like being on a football team and not even showing up for the game. Well, you're not going to make the big tackle that you needed to make to help your team if you're not even at the stadium with your uniform on. You got to be engaged in the game, ready to play if you're going to make a difference. And you and I, like waking up every day and thinking about what we have to do, thinking about our schedule and our agenda is exactly like that. And I, I don't say that in a guilt-inducing like, like guilt way. I, I think it actually is liberating. It takes the pressure off of having to figure out uh, how, to, how to navigate every single day, and, and uh, it really gives a sort of a divine roadmap to your day. This next verse I want to look at kind of ties this together a little bit. Uh, so the, the church in Corinth was, uh, was questioning Paul's uh, sort of uh, uh, spiritual power, I guess, for lack of a better term. And they were basically saying, Paul has a lot of stuff going on. He's getting beat up all the time. Uh, he's not able to make this second trip that he was planning to be with us. So clearly this guy is not really hearing from God. He's not really spiritually mature. And so because things weren't going well for Paul, he was getting beat up all the time, uh, they said that maybe he's really not as spiritually strong as he thought, you know, as we thought he was. And he says, listen, that's, that's not true at all. That's not how it works. And so here's what he says in response to that. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, what he's talking about here is uh, a reference to Rome, which would capture people, and as a way to sort of assert their power and let everybody know that Rome uh, had captives and, and was in charge. They would march people, their prisoners, into the city, and they'd make them carry incense. So you'd really see that Rome was in charge and that they were powerful and that they had captives, but then you'd also just feel their power. You'd smell their power with the incense that they would carry. And Paul is saying here, you know, God leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, which means what? 
It means you follow Jesus basically to the cross. Jesus had his circumstances kind of turned upside down. He was doing pretty well. He was really, really connected with his, his heavenly father. He said he didn't do anything without hearing from the father first. And then what happened? He gets killed. He gets so stressed the night before he was killed, he's sweating blood. Things did not go well for Jesus. And Paul, Paul is saying here, listen, Christ goes before us and we follow his procession, basically, which is suffering. And it's not fun, it's not, uh, it's not prestigious, but to follow Jesus means that we're following in his suffering and we share in his suffering. And so when things don't go well, us still uh, following after God is like carrying aroma that is pleasing to him. It's like carrying incense around that's pleasing to God. And as we go about our day, as we go about our lives, and we use the, the pain that we have, the suffering that we have, the negative circumstances that, that happen in our life, God is glorified. As we do these good works that he has set for us to do, it's like a sweet fragrance that's lifted up before him. And he continues and says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. He says, this is a beautiful way to give glory to God by living in a way that opens up your suffering, opens up your pain, and points people to God by just being faithful to him, by still doing those good things that he set out for us to do, that he planned in advance for us to do. It really doesn't take a lot of um, inventiveness. It just takes going through difficulty and owning it and recognizing that God wants to use it. Not, he, he doesn't want you to pretend it's not there. He doesn't want you to, uh, to sort of shrug it off. He doesn't want you to feel like you're uh, worthless because you have difficult things going on. He wants to use your difficult circumstances. I had a lady after the last service who came up and said, I was a victim years and years and years ago, and I have been living thinking of myself as a victim ever since. Anything bad that happens, I feel like it's because I'm a victim. And when things in life don't work out, it's because I was victimized. She said, today, I, something changed because I feel like God wants to use me being a victim to show people his power that I, that I overcame this, that I found healing from it. And I think God wants to use that to help other people. And that's exactly what this, this passage is describing. That when we do these things, when we, when, we, uh, when we just hang on, God's glorified when we do the things that he set out for us to do, that he planned for us in advance to do. A little bit later in, Corinth, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. This means if you follow Jesus, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. This can happen every day because when you, when you give your life to Jesus, he wipes the slate clean from your past. 
there still may be consequences on earth that you have to deal with. But in a spiritual sense, he wipes it clean. You don't have to feel guilty for things that you did in the past. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to feel worthless. You can know that God forgives you for any shortcomings, any sins that you committed. And he has a, he has a new life for you. Even any of your accomplish, accomplishments, things that you might have done to try to, uh, to have a sense of value and purpose, those things aren't as important anymore. Why? Because you're a new creation and God has good things for you to do. They might have something to do with your old life, but you're a new person. You're a new creation. So I just want to let you know, you can cut the ties from the past. You do not have to be defined by what happened to you yesterday or last year or 10 years ago. You're a new creation if you're in Christ. And some of us today, we just need to start living like we're a new creation and stop letting the past dictate how we act today. Because today is where God wants you to be. Not even today, but right here, right now. And I think how we discover what God has for us and how, uh, as Christ followers, our identity really is to do good things, we have to start with being forgiven and just receiving God's grace. So I just want to invite you to that, to just say, God, make me new. Clean my heart. Give me a new life. Make me a new creation. I know that may, might sound really simplistic, but it, it's pretty huge to think that the God of the universe will say to you, you know what? I forgive you. And not only are you forgiven for everything you've done that you shouldn't have done and everything you didn't do that you should have done, but I'm gonna make you a new person. And that new person has value and worth as my child. And because Jesus gave his life for that new creation, the cost that it took to get this new creation is invaluable. It's priceless. And God wants to use you to make a difference in other people's lives and in the kingdom. He wants you to basically be a sneezer. Seth Godin is, a, is an author, and a few years ago, he came out with a book, and he talked about uh, how new ideas or new products need sneezers, that uh, they need people basically who, who get, the, get the idea, and they go out and they sneeze on everyone else about the idea. Now, it's kind of a gross thought, but, and I'm a germaphobe quite a bit, so... Uh, Cleaning up baby poop all the time is really a blast for me, let me tell you. <clears throat> I thought I'd use gloves every time maybe, but that doesn't really work out um, quite as much because it's like 30 times a day. Um, <laughs> but anyway, think about this though. If, if you have a new product and people are going out talking about it, what happens? Other people get interested. A lot of you have, how many of you have an iPhone? Raise your hand if you have an iPhone. That's a lot of you. At some point, you hadn't heard of an iPhone and someone told you about it or you saw it on a commercial or you heard about it and you thought, well, maybe I'll get an iPhone. 
But that's exactly what he's talking about, is you need people who are early adopters who find the product and then just tell other people about it. That's kind of God's strategy. He sort, of, he sort of took that from the New Testament, really, from God, because that's exactly what Jesus is saying uh, in, the, in the New Testament, is, uh, is basically our job is to be sneezers, to uh, infect in a good way the people around us. That's kind of, it's kind of the, the same idea of uh, the aroma of Christ, of, of spreading like incense the scent of God. And I'll tell you, to watch as we as a church are out in the community doing good, it's amazing. I hear, I hear regularly people come here and say, oh yeah, I was standing in line at the grocery store and the guy behind me started talking about church and I thought I'd check it out. Or, uh, you know, my neighbor knew I was going through a hard time and just was really nice to me. And then I asked him if I could come to their church. It is this beautiful picture of our body out in the community really just making a difference and caring for people. It can happen negatively, too. You see places where the opposite happens. And it is more like a sneeze. It's more like a, a nasty thing you don't want on you when people are rude or critical or harsh or judgmental. Those things spread pretty quickly too. And not in a good way. But you know what? When we are all saying, God, let me find those things that you have for me to do. Let me find those good things that you set out for me to do. It makes a huge difference. And it changes a community, it changes, it's really changed the world. Over the last 2,000 years, that's exactly what Christ followers have done. And it's why we're here today, because 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe came to the earth as a, as a man. Think about that. Your heavenly father loves you so much that he set out these good things for, for people for thousands of years to do to get you here today knowing that God loves you and that you're part of that history. You're part of, of caring for other people and helping them know Jesus. That's amazing. Uh, we pick back up in this verse, uh, verse 18. He says, all this is from God, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That was God reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. Catch this. We, therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Although God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our identity in a nutshell. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to be ambassadors for God. It's kind of the sneezer idea. You go and spread the love of God. Please don't sneeze on anyone and think that's what I was saying. But you get the picture, right? It's the same way viruses spread by people sneezing all over or touching things and getting germs all over the place. Just the opposite, because it's good stuff and God is moving. Many of you are here because someone loved you enough to invite you 
or to pray for you and to tell you about Jesus. I was talking to someone today who, uh, just this morning, who uh, I had the privilege of baptizing a while back. And he was someone's one life for a while. That means basically a one life if you're kind of newer around here. We say we're going to be praying for one life. We're going to be trying to just care for someone uh, that we know, that we, that we are in relationship with. And that's one life we're just praying for, we're reaching out to, we're trying to really help them know Christ. Many of you were someone's one life, whether they called it that or not. A lot of you had someone who was praying for you. You had a grandma or a mom or a dad or an uncle or someone praying for you that God, that God would help you to know him. And now it's our responsibility to continue to do that, to find those ways that God's working, to find those things that he's planned in advance for you to do and to be his ambassador. An ambassador helps, uh, is sort of a representative of someone else. They can speak on their behalf a lot of times. They, they, uh, they carry authority uh, of the person that they're representing a lot of times. So when an ambassador from the U.S. goes to another country, a lot of times they have authority in a certain area to represent the United States. That's a huge responsibility, and that's a big responsibility when you think about it in terms of politics or, or our country. But think about that in terms of the God of the universe. You and I are ambassadors for the God of the universe. That's a big deal. That means that you and I get to wake up every day and know that the God of the universe wants to use us to make a difference in people's lives. It's something to get excited about because a lot of us wake up and we don't know what we're doing with our life. You know, there's, there's people of all ages who just don't really know what they're doing in life. If you wake up and you ask, what am I doing here? Who am I? The answer is in the scriptures. The answer is you are God's loved child. You are his beloved and you are his ambassador. Because you know Jesus and his love, you are called to share that. And I hope that as you think about that and as that truth settles in, you will understand that God has great things for you to do. There's no one in this room that can't do what I'm talking about, that can't do what the scriptures is talking about. If you follow Jesus, you are called to be an ambassador on his behalf. It doesn't mean you have everything figured out because none of us do. It doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are. But you know what? We own our stuff. When we mess up, we ask for forgiveness. We seek uh, forgiveness and, and we're humble. And we love people the best that we know how. This is an exciting journey that we get to take. This is something that I hope drives you every single day that we wake up and think, God, please use me today. What a privilege to be used by the God of the universe. God has you where he has you right now, strategically. The things that you've gone through, I don't think God makes bad things happen to us, but he certainly uses them for his glory. He certainly uses them to point people to him. The bad things that have happened to you are not so you can sulk and... and live with self-pity and feel bad about yourself. And I don't say that, you know, condescendingly or anything. 
because I do think we need to process and we need to heal. And we need to work through issues, but God wants to use those things for his glory. He wants to use those things to help people see you and say, why do you have hope in the midst of this? Why do you have joy in the midst of this? Or why do you have a good perspective and, and you've healed through something that was horrible that happened to you? How do you do that? And that's where you can say, you know what? God's really the only way. The reason I have hope in all this is because God loves me. The reason I don't have to prove anything, I can just be me, is because God loves me. The reason I can give God's success, uh, God, God glory for all my success is because I know that I don't have to do that stuff to earn his love. All your success, all the good stuff is just for his glory. What a cool deal. So just as we wrap up, I just want you to know uh, what this verse says. Uh, that, that section in Ephesians that I read earlier about God having good things uh, prepared in advance for you to do is, is preceded by these words. Because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God loves you. You're his beloved child. And he has great plans, great things in store for you to do. Don't miss out. Don't wake up and miss the things that he's planned for you. You don't need to feel guilty about yesterday. Just start today with looking for the ways that he wants to use you. It might not be big things at first, might be little, but he is going to use you if you open yourself up to that and look for those ways. So uh, please do that. Please join me on that exciting adventure. It really is amazing. He works in amazing ways. And I know he wants to use you in powerful ways. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. God, help us to find our identity in you and your forgiveness and your love. God, help us to know that we don't have to prove anything. We don't have to uh, live up to anything. We can just really bask in your love and just follow you and uh, look for the ways that you uh, are gonna use us and just take those small, obedient steps one at a time. God, I pray for each person in here that you'd give them a vision for what this could look like in their life, that you would help them to see how you wanna use the struggles that they've had and the pain that they've had and the, and the success and the great things that they've had for your glory. I pray that you'd give us a vision for that, Lord. And God, I pray that as your church, we would just be open to your leadership in this area, that we would follow you and live out our faith in a way that pleases you and glorifies you. Because that's what we want to do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.